This is Aliens and Artists, part two of our conversation with Emily Trim and Luigi Venditelli. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. At the end of part one, Emily was relating how difficult it had been at times for her family to deal with she and her brother's contact experience at the Ariel School in Zimbabwe. I asked her if the experience is still somewhat off limits for her family to discuss. I don't think it's off limits to discuss. I just think this experience has brought a lot of pain to the family. So it's not been a fun experience to talk about. Again, when I was talking about the emotional impacts that these experiences have, there are a lot of experiencers out there that they go through a phase of processing and they don't do so well. I went through that period myself where I just was not doing very well. Well, It's hard to go through. (laughs) It's, It's hard to go through. There are different camps of experiencers and researchers. If we place them on a spectrum, on one end, we find someone like a David Jacobs, who has a fairly negative view of what's transpiring. On the other end, perhaps a Barbara Lamb, who feels it's quite positive. And then various intermediary views betwixt the two. People's interpretations range from it being demonic to messianic. Where do your views land in this respect? It feels to me like you've found a way to move beyond the binary, merely reductive, black and white thinking, but I don't want to speak for you. So what is your view? Based on personal experience, they haven't hurt me or harmed me. So my general consensus is they aren't here to hurt us. They could have done that quite some time ago if that was their intention. I don't believe that's their intention. I will say this, though, if there is positive and negative. So if I were to say this creature maybe is a bit more angelic than it would be demonic, if you believe in angelic, you kind of have to believe in demonic at the same time, right? So my personal experience, they didn't hurt me. I'm fine. They didn't attack me. They're not here to eat me. They could have done that if they wanted to. I've kind of broken it down as to every experience that I've had, these these people, these creatures have had these opportunities to do things to me, and they have not. So I am of the thinking that there is good and evil, but what I've dealt with, I don't believe it to be demonic. Often because the technology is so exotic, there's a tendency to equate advanced technology with advanced consciousness. Do you feel that's the case, or did they just develop in a different non-human set of conditions? Does the wonder and gifts of the human soul put us on somewhat equal spiritual footing? What is a soul to them? It felt like they were studying me. Not just me, but they're trying to figure out what soul was, what we are, what our belief systems are. It just felt like they were trying to study everything. I do want to say one thing, and I don't know if Emily, you'll remember this, but there was a time that Emily was going through some really hard time. And she said something to me that I had never thought of and stuck like glue. We were talking and she said, they want to see 
how far we can go and still love in the end. Where no matter what is happening, we still have the ability to love. And that was something that I hadn't thought of. And I don't know if you remember saying that, Em, but it stuck with me. I was just about to be like, it sounds like me, but I'm like, when did I say that? Because I, I'm pretty good with my memory, but I'm like... It was like years back, that's for sure. It was like a long time ago. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it stuck with me because as much as I was on the side of her living through some of these negative emotions, she said that and it immediately confirmed to me that she was completely able to see the positive out of all of it. And that was something that I don't think a lot of people would be able to see so easily. When we look at the enormity of what an experiencer has to deal with in order to get to healthy freedom, love is one of the gifts that we have the power to choose. Not always an easy choice or an obvious one when one is in the dark night of the soul, but to your point about them studying us, it does appear humans are possessed of qualities that are of great interest to them. Creativity being one, love another. Does art mean something special to them? Oh, I I definitely think so. I think it's a universal language. So I think that's the way that they know how to communicate. For whatever reason, I want to go to like ancient civilizations and I want to go to ancient languages. I really do think that that's their form of communicate. Every time that I've been communicated with, it has been in in art format. It, it has come through in images. It has come through in emotions. It's come through in universal languages. So I think art is huge because I think that's part of communication for them. How about you, Luigi? I completely agree with Emily on that. And I think that there's two things that they say that mathematics is the universal language, which I think is definite reality. But I also think that emotions and symbols or art is also universal. So when you look at communication between anybody or any species, emotion is a huge communicator, which allows you to communicate. You can communicate with a dog through emotions. You can't talk to it in Spanish if it's a French dog. So, you know, there's an emotion attached to communication all the time. And obviously symbols and art are absolutely universal. I mean, it just popped into my mind when we text people now, there's so many emoticons that we associate to an answer. Just sending a heart means I love you or sending a thumbs up means I'm good to go. And it's a symbol. And that symbol Just a little side note, I have an office in China. I deal with China every single day. And a lot of times, the Chinese and I communicate through symbols and not Chinese symbols. And it's incredible how we've managed to become compatible in terms of the way we communicate with just very simple symbol. And if we could do that on this tiny little scale, I could just imagine the value of communication through art, how universal that is. Let's talk a bit about the symbolism in your art. Of course, many depictions of the Ariel event are in your work. The effusion of images, emotions that flowed from that day. But I've noticed motifs from ancient Egypt, ancient cultures. I'm wondering if you could share a bit about the constellation of themes in your art. 
Yeah, definitely Egyptian themes in there. Well, I think that's a part of an experiencer's process going to ancient civilizations. I've never been to Egypt before, but I would love to go and see those hieroglyphics. I think for me, what I process the most is how do these sites exist? Who made them? Were they divinely inspired? I believe so. So I put a lot of symbolism from those particular places of the world because I do believe that when those temples, mosques, churches, the pyramids all over the world, I do believe that there was divine inspiration behind the construction of the megaliths. So it really translates throughout my work because I do feel there is a extraterrestrial connection. One of the children from aerial school said it's a very long story and we might get the answers in this lifetime or the next. And I kind of have to agree with her. It's a very long story and we might get the answers in this lifetime and it might come in the next lifetime. So we can only speculate. <laughs> the enigma itself is a gift that keeps us vital and searching. It either. is. What kind of a boring life would it be if <laughs> we, we, we were all alone, you know? I think, personally, when you propose the question, are we alone in the universe, to people, it opens their mind to, okay, so what else is there? And you have to be an out-of-the-box thinker in order to get anywhere in life. You, you can't stay stuck in the box. How else do we progress in, in humanity if we stay stuck in our constructs of what we believe this is it? We don't get anywhere. So I think proposing that question, not force feeding it, not saying you have to believe or you don't have to, or just proposing the question, are we alone in the universe, opens up the mind to being more receptive of, oh, maybe we're not. Have you kept in touch with the other experiencers who were on the playground at Ariel's school that day? There's a film coming out as well, which we should discuss. Have you stayed connected with the other kids? Well, I don't have contact with a, a lot of the school kids, but I do have contact with a few of them. And Selma, for instance, she's been doing some interviews. We keep in contact. We just, the children follow each other's lives and we stay connected. We reach out when we feel the need to reach out, but we don't seem to bombard each other with the event. Like we actually, for the most part, a lot of the people, they, they just grew up and they became into the individual adults that they wanted to become. How do you feel about the film that is being released? Is the title still The Ariel Phenomenon? I think they've changed the name to Aerial School Phenomenon, but yes. Okay. Have you seen it? How do you feel about it? Was I have not seen the film yet. He, the producer wanted to keep it until it was completed. He didn't want to show anybody because he kind of wanted to keep it a bit of a surprise for all of us. But I'm not sure when the film is actually getting released. I have some mixed feelings because I'm a little nervous. It's putting myself out there, but I, again... One of the things that I had said is I get these constant reminders to use my voice. You know, I've been given an opportunity to use my voice. That matters. And I take it seriously. So I'm happy in a sense because I got to share my voice and I got to share with people 
with the world an event that was extremely touching. Do you feel like things have gotten better in terms of media coverage and the tone being used now? The last few years, the Tic Tac event, New York Times running several articles, seriously, the Washington Post, American Scientific, etc., or Joe Rogan, for that matter, Fox News. The giggle factor is gone. It's being taken seriously. Do you feel vindicated? Do you feel optimistic that humans may mature collectively and make real progress? I hope so. I have mixed feelings. The whole ufology and government and conspiracy and all that, part of me is like, okay, so maybe they're taking it a little bit seriously and they're not laughing about it. Like I actually did an art piece. I don't know if you saw them recently, but I did some photographs of myself mm. and I made myself look like a clown. And for particular reasons, because that is literally the feeling that I get from society all the time. You mentioned the word extraterrestrial, alien, you're a joke, you're a laugh, you're getting probed up your ass, an alien is just, you know, like, it's nuts. I would like to just quickly jump in, if you don't mind. I will say one thing in reference to what you just said, Stuart, and what's coming out in the news and in the media. I have an analogy about it where we're talking about the reality of the existence of lions. And we can say the New York Times or somebody might say, we do believe that it is possible that there are lions at the zoo. And what we're talking about is the lion is in your bedroom. So there's a difference between the existence of lions at the zoo and the existence of lions in your bedroom. So whenever you have a conversation with people about UFOs, yes, the giggle effect is less existing today than it was a few years ago, but only to the extent of an unidentified aerial phenomenon in the air. You mentioned you got contact with an actual entity and yeah. you're nuts. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the sad part. Yeah. It is quite a punchline that there is a percolating notion of disclosure that may be underway while tens of thousands of people have had face-to-face <laughs> -face contact going back millennia. I think disclosure has already happened. It's already existing as we are speaking. I don't think there's going to be any more disclosure than what already is disclosed. And I also think, this is just to go along with what you were saying in your last question, that I have mixed feelings about disclosure because right now we already have. I went to a conference and I'm not trying to speak badly about individuals, but you can tell somebody that wants attention based on somebody that has had a true experience. Yeah. And how do you distinguish then between the true experiencers and true testimonies and the people that are seeking attention, looking for 15 minutes of fame? If we disclose any further than what is already out there, this is my love-hate relationship. I'm the insane clown for the world to laugh at, but in reality, that's not, obviously not the truth, but how else will people in the government, people in the spiritual community, people in ufology, how else will we distinguish between the true actual experiencers if we disclose more? I think we would get chaos. I think we would get a lot of people who would 
start claiming certain things. And it's really scary because, you know, a lot of people that start claiming certain things look for followings. And that to me is an indicator that we're not actually looking at the true experiencers anymore and listening to the true experiencers. We're looking for a sensationalized bullshit. And that's where my love-hate relationship comes in. I, I, I will also have to add a couple of things, if you don't mind. One of the things that I've been a very big advocate for is the fact that we're growing into a society where we are removing the veil of discrimination. So everything from race to gender, we are fixing humanity as much as we can in regards to eliminating discrimination. And one thing that I had mentioned a few years ago with a lot of my colleagues and Emily is very aware of is what I call selective discrimination syndrome, meaning you are not going to discriminate against an African-American, but you will discriminate against somebody like Emily because she says something and you just think she's crazy. You will also say, I believe in UFOs because the Navy saw something on a scope, but I will not believe somebody who saw a being. Mm -hmm. So you are selectively discriminating because it just doesn't fit in your narrative. Now, this is something that I consider to be the next step in the evolution of accepting this, not in disclosure, but in the evolution of accepting this reality. So we had the Me Too movement, which was a huge movement around the world. And Emily knows that I have been working hard at creating a new one. It's Emily is my poster child, if you want to call it word, but it, I call it the hashtag WANA. We are not alone. It has to become a reality that people understand that if there is an openness to a craft on a Navy scope, and we could go to the far reaches of saying it is possible that it's from another world, then we have to accept the fact that somebody is driving it. And if somebody is driving it, it means it's intelligent. And if somebody who's driving it is intelligent and doesn't come from this world, it is possible that they've already come down and contacted us. We can't omit this in the popularity. What you're doing is you have a puzzle, but you're not putting all the pieces in the puzzle. Yeah, exactly. no, and so how can you formulate a picture and a well-rounded opinion based on negating and neglecting all the different pieces of the puzzle? Yeah. Yeah. Evidence is not the issue. It's our worldviews. But maybe conversations like this can help. As you said, Emily, to not give up, never give up, keep choosing love. And so I think you're a perfect poster child. Art is one of the few realms which can circumvent the defenses, the landmines of our ossified egos. Artwork seems to get a passport to bypass, like a a bypass port, <laughs> but in, you know, into the heart, the mind, the soul, that's, that's missionary work. In that spirit, what artists inspire you and why? Oh, that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> Besides your, you know, like your Da Vinci and your Michelangelo, and I take a little bit from each. Again, the art world kind of fell into my lap, so I haven't really I didn't have like these celebrities that I was looking up to in the art community. 
it kind of fell into my lap. So I actually focus on the artists of now that are out and about, and I enjoy seeing their work. I will follow just different people on Instagram if I get inspired, if I love their work, and I follow their process. I get inspiration from lots of different people. And what about you, Luigi? When it comes to Emily's work, I have some original pieces, some pretty big pieces. And one of the big ones is at my office. I have a few other ones at my home. And I have friends come over and they see them. And a ton of my friends have either no idea that I'm even involved in this field or some of them know, but they don't realize at what extent. Because I don't really get into it too much with everybody. And they see the work. I explain to them that this was painted by somebody who had and explained the experience. And suddenly you have their attention. You have their attention not because the piece is so beautiful, but because where it got created from. So I can't compare it to standard art because it just is unique in itself. And I don't say this just because I want to elevate Emily's art too much, but it really is different. It really has a different touch. I mean, you'll walk in and you'll see this gigantic piece where there's a gray being. I have this one piece that Emily gave me, which is, I think, the most amazing one, which is the gigantic piece. And it's the life size of the being. It's exactly the size it was when she witnessed them. And I have it there and people look at it and always say, what's that? And I say, well, that's this experience that happened to these kids. And that's the life size of the actual being. And you can see that they remain in awe by looking at it because there's a story to it. And I think that should become, I hope that Emily inspires other people who have had experiences to make, to create art so that there could be a larger collection out there of people's experiences. Because I mean, nobody had their iPhone on board. Nobody had, they're not taking pictures of what happened. So, and to be fair, these creatures, if they wanted their photograph taken, you think they would let it happen? I think so. I don't think they're about getting their photographs taken. Yeah, Yeah. it's not exactly selfie culture with these non-human entities. Where can people purchase your work? Emily, I've noticed you don't really broadcast that side of your art. This is something that Emily and I have been working on now for a while, and it's been a big piece of the aerial puzzle that we are, what we've decided to do is in respect to the incredible amount of work that's been invested in the documentary film that will be coming out soon, we've chosen to hold off on launching any potential sale of artwork post-launch of the movie. So we want to make sure that the story is explained properly before the art can be available, whether it be original pieces. The reason why we're doing this is something really important that I want to just make a little side point of. A lot of times, like you just mentioned, where can we get this art? And obviously people say, here they go, they want to make money on it now. And there's a lot of people who will say, here they are, they want to capitalize. And and that is completely untrue. In fact, it took me about two years to convince Emily to do that. 
it was like trying to squeeze water out of a rock because Emily was like, no way. I don't want to sell this stuff because I don't want people to think I'm trying to make money off of this. And I said, but the reality is this is your life. This is your talent. This is your expression. This is important. And it will not be free to do that. We still live on earth. And this is where I kind of have to bring in my business side of things and say, Emily, if you want to continue doing art and we want to bring this to people, it cannot be done for free. It's impossible. And so we have started looking at opportunities for people to buy originals and to buy copies, some of the most popular ones. And we're also going to be creating an illustrated book with all the art. That's going to be something that will follow the movie. And I think that that will be an exceptional way for Emily to have some type of compensation for the amount of, I don't want to make it sound negative, but I mean, it, was, it hasn't been easy. It's been a hell of a journey. Watching her go through all, all of it and having people poke and pry and ask and, and having to expose her life the way she has in this movie, I think it is more than fair that something like this would allow her to make something out of it in the end. That's just something that I consider to be very normal. Well, we vote with our dollar, right? Putting money into deeper artwork creates a deeper culture, and that's what I want to vote for, a better, more nuanced culture. So... I'll be one of your very first customers. Yeah, thank right. you. Yeah, thank you. You know, it's not been a, an easy journey, and there's been a lot of ups and downs throughout my life. The experience brings sadness, but it also brings a lot of joy at the same time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Luigi's been a great support for me. He's pretty much my agent at this point to help me throughout this process because as I was telling you I deal with I think like any artist a lot of emotions that translates through my work whether it be through color medium expressionism it flows I've had to build the support team around that it can be very lonely as an experiencer not only does it flow it's a tsunami of creativity that moves through you so palpable that presence in your artwork And the volume of it is astonishing. Is there a formula for how you structure your life to accommodate that Vesuvian flow of creativity? I don't think there's a formula. I think I've been doing a lot of, I don't know how to explain it, but the prolificness of my art has literally become a form of therapy for me to process the experience because as an experiencer, You can't just go to a medical professional and say, I had an experience and it was extraterrestrial. Can you help me? Art kind of fell into my lap as I had another experience that happened to me. It was just so profound and it moved me to a place I had never been to before that I, all of this art literally just came pouring out of me and became forms of therapy to study the art and to process the experience all at the same time. For more information on Emily Trim, visit our show notes. 
Artist Robert Lemos was visiting Brazil in order to attend a wedding. He went on a stroll one afternoon to do sketching in some nearby dunes he was aware of. Having found an idyllic spot, he set to work, only to be dismayed upon looking up. Directly before him was a massive craft. A window opened on its exterior, and suddenly, Lemos found himself face to face with two slender beings. They had very long necks, black eyes, and scales all over their bodies. Although they did not appear to match the popular common reports of reptilian beings. Despite having a countenance that might have terrified most people, Lemos reports the beings had an air of royalty about them, as though they were perhaps, quote, the VIPs of their people, end quote. They were adorned in fine fabrics, and the female even had a tiara perched atop her head. Lemos feels these entities chose him specifically because he is a painter and a sculptor, so that he would create depictions of them. The purpose of these works are to diminish fear and help human beings gradually adjust to their appearance. Lemos believes they will return. He feels sure they're benevolent, with an almost familial concern for human beings. One of his friends commented that it's almost as though Lemos has fallen in love with the two entities he saw that day. A native of Barcelona, Lemos was a successful artist long before he encountered the craft and beings in the Brazilian dunes. He even received a national Spanish prize and recognition for his work. His works are in the permanent collections of the important museums and galleries. But as is so often the case, the face-to-face -face encounter with these beings and craft irreversibly altered the course of his career. Since the encounter, he's devoted himself to life-size sculptures and paintings of the beings to the exclusion of all else. Some in Lemos's life accept and believe his account, and others have a harder time with it. But his long-standing status as a Spanish artistic treasure seems to have insulated him from the aspersions other artist experiencers endure. For more on Robert Lemos, check the show notes. Aliens and Artists is brought to you by The Liminal Muse, offering one-on-one -on -one sessions with me, Stuart Davis, dealing with creativity, spirituality, and non-ordinary experience. Go to theliminalmuse.com to book a session. You'll also find a link in the show notes.
before a shadow Yeah. 